correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. What's up, Gamer Nation? Welcome back to Me and Steve. I'm here tonight with my buddy Steve. What's up? And uh, before we get into something a little different we have for tonight, we want to take a moment to highlight our uh, D20 Network podcast of the week. And what's it going to be this week, Steve? We're actually going to be talking about court games. We had someone from court games on a little bit ago. Yeah, Kikita, I believe, was the name she uses on the show. Yeah, court games is an L5R, Legend of the Five Rings podcast. They actually have three podcasts on the D20 network. They have the the court games podcast itself. Then they have Fortune and Strife and Crimson Gold Agonies. Now, court games is more, what do you want to call, uh, game discussion around Legend of the Five Rings, be it GMing tips lore information, that type of thing. And then the other two are actual plays. And I don't remember which one is which, but I know one of them is a little more of a, like an audio drama where they take a lot of the game mechanics out and the other, they leave it all in to kind of give, you know, a little more of a demonstration he feels. So uh, those are court games, fortune and strife and crimson gold agonies. And if you're into L5R, then probably want to go check those out. Yeah. And even if you're like me, I have a passing interest in L5R. They're definitely worth the listen. I've been definitely listening to some some of the court game shows and really, really interesting, really cool stuff over there. A little bit of disclaimer before we even get going on this episode. You know, normally I'm upbeat and moving, but today I am sick. Luckily, it's not COVID again, but it's <laughs> sinus infection plus toothache equals mellow Steve. Yeah, those that's not a fun combination. I've had to deal with that more than once myself, so we'll tough it out. So what are we going to do today, Steve? So if you're a member of our Discord, you probably saw earlier today, meaning today, Tuesday, September 14th, where Steve had put up, hey, why don't you shoot us questions for the podcast? And so that's something that, you know, it only takes a couple seconds, come over and join our Discord and you get to have conversations with us but also you know we'll sometimes reach out for topic ideas you know and and that's pretty much what we did today was we just reached out for topic ideas and we got we got a bunch here um so let's break into them all right so how do you how do you want to pick this we i we typed up a list do we want to roll a die or well let me how many we got i think something like 15 a couple of those are ones that i i put in there but uh, there's 15 here. Yeah, we don't have an even number to really roll a die. So let's start at number one. Okay. Number one from Agent Zero, who is awesome GM for our campaign that we've been sort of talking about. What was the craziest ending to a campaign you were actually able to play to completion? So we sort of talked about this one before the show. I don't have any great examples of this because a lot of campaigns I play to don't end in completion or end on a sort of cliffhanger. Yeah, I'm in a lot the same boat, in all honesty. I think I've only played a handful of campaigns to an actual completion. Now, I've had some really crazy stories that came out of what amounted, that that generated effectively like resets in campaigns. I shared one of those 
back. Oh, I'm trying to scroll through and find it now. I want to say about maybe episode 18 or so we did. Uh, I think the name of the episode was the night that Bubba went crazy and other stories. Yeah. Or something along those lines. That one was fun. It wasn't a total TPK, but it did kind of conclude that chapter of the campaign and move it on to a new one. But yeah, I mean, in all honesty, it, it seems like most of the games I've either moved away from the group due to, you know, life reasons or, you know, like a lot of games in college. Well, this person left, that person left, whatever. It just, it's not that, you know, the game dissolved even. It's just that people moved on. And um, so I don't, I don't know that I have like wacky conclusions that are, I mean, I've been in several games where, you know, so to speak, the, the GM kind of lost interest and went, eh, let's go do something else. Yeah. I have a lot of those stories where the game sort of just fizzled on its own. I don't really have any great where they ended crazy or, you know, super awesome. A lot of mine, even the games that I run, I find myself just ending on a, on a cliffhanger most of the time because most of the time, not always, but most of the time my players want to come back and want to play those characters again. And so this might be the end of the story for now, but it's not the end of the story forever. I'm a big fan of doing time jumps too, where you take characters and, you know, you take a character that when the campaign ended the last time they were, we'll use a real age, maybe they were like their mid twenties or, or late teens. And we pick up where they're adults, they're in their early forties, you know, like full-blown grown-ups and and dealing with that and how those characters have aged. A lot of my stories don't end with a bang. A lot of my stories end with a, a bit of a cliffhanger or a whimper just because, I don't know, I've never had where played in a game or, or run a game where it's it's really made sense to conclude on this big, massive explosion. That's fair. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat. That being said, do we move on? Yeah, we move on to the next question, which is from Chaz. How has recording your games changed the way you play and run? Well, I don't know about you, but personally, it hasn't. <laughs> it's changed a little bit, but it hasn't changed a whole lot. In my opinion, as far as when it comes to recording, most of the time, it's just uh, it's a good way to keep my players more on point and not let them wander off because you sort of go, hey, guys, just remember, we're recording this. And they, oh, sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, I think for me. You know, and, and all honesty, I've played all of, well, y'all have heard the, the, the two sessions that or well, technically three sessions, but the, the two games that have made it to air so far. And I was playing in both of those. You know, we did record one session of something that kind of fizzled for various reasons. And I was running that and we intend to revisit it. But I think for me, I don't know that it changes it, but it does in a way, because I think I'm more conscious of what do you want to say? Trying to to have a, a defined thing I want to do, you know, I'm a little more conscious of how much table talk I do. I know GMing is a bit more anxiety, at least initially. I think that's something that will wear off in time, but it's also the, the factor that in cases for me, it's also been largely with people that I've not ever run for before. And so just by the nature of my personality, I'd probably tend to be a little more nervous there. And then there's also the idea that, hey, we're putting this out for everyone to see. <laughs> yeah, that that gives you a little bit of pause. I think for me, as far as table talks concerned, even in personal games, I try my best to the the table talk that I do will be at like stopping points or before we get going. Like, you know, when when we played live sessions, I would try, you know, I, 
we do a little bit of talking before the game would get going, but I try to stay on point for the most part and, and just keep it moving. Yeah. I think the other thing I might do is I might, might try and be like a little more evocative in my description, but some of that too is getting used to playing online, which has been, you know, everything I've done that's recorded where you don't have the, you know, the hand gestures and the facial expressions to convey things that you would at a table. And that's not necessarily a recording thing, but it is because I'm also a little bit conscious of the fact that anyone listening to it is not going to have the benefit of any of those things. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely, I agree with that. It's definitely made me play more up than I used to. Like I used to, when we would play in live, I would always play a little more subdued. And now I find myself when we play online, we play these games that we're recording. I'm going a little bit more over the top on my characters, over the top on my voice and, and doing a little bit more than what I used to. And I think part of that's because you don't have the advantage of sitting at a table and being across from somebody and using your hand gestures and, and making sure you're reading their facial expressions so they understand what's being said to them. Yeah. And from that, we'll move on to Hagen's question which is strangest regular play group and any fun stories. Um, I'll let you start this one off because I have a, I have like one, but <laughs> well, strangest regular play group. I mean, it's a little bit because I find that most people I've met in the gaming community are all a bit unique. So, you know, I don't know what to define as strangest. I think perhaps some of the fondest, if you will, unique people memories I have go back to my college days in which Hagen actually was part of that, you know, and mm -hmm. it all centered and I don't to this day, I don't remember necessarily specific campaign groups because there was quite a circle of us that it sort of centered around this one Call of Cthulhu game, but then it fractured and, and I should say fractured, but it kind of like split off and some of us played this stuff together and some of us played other stuff and you know the, but that was kind of like the 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 central central reference point not necessarily everybody in our circle of friends played in the Cthulhu game but a lot of us did at one point or another and there were some really unique people in there the the GM who we all called Cthulhu Jim or just Cthulhu and mind you this was back in the mid 90s but he would respond if you saw him across the street and hollered Cthulhu he would wave at you and this game was very out there in a lot of ways because this was the original iteration of Delta Green when it was a Call of Cthulhu supplement. Mm -hmm. um, we had uh, one character that someone played, and I believe this person now works in investment banking, was a Irish assassin patterned very much after Leon from Leon the Professional. There was an individual who is now an attorney who was playing a Shaolin monk. you know, And, and that individual, by the way, as far as his memories, this person had the, what I can only describe as troll hair. <laughs> and I mean that, like, remember the little troll dolls? Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about those in a million years. His hair was, like, naturally red, and this kind of... He could do, like, the Don King hairdo with mm -hmm. nothing in his hair. Like, it was just that, whatever it was. You know, but very kind of, if you want to call it stereotypical Irish complexion, you know, pale freckles. Mm-hmm red hair it, it, like i said great friend but that 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 crew had a had quite an assortment of people and, and we did a lot of crazy things together like we used to do this thing we called bad movie night which 
was kind of like our own private version of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You know, we would get Plan 9 from Outer Space or the Kentucky Fried Movie or Attack of the Killer Tomatoes or any number of just awful, awful movies. Oh, yeah, I love the Kentucky Fried Movie and Plan 9's a good time anytime I'm on. I'm not saying they're not a good time, but they're not good movies. No, they're not. <laughs> um, and, you know, we would get together and watch those and, and, and mock them and all kinds of fun stuff like that. And then the one other crazy thing we used to do, and, and I can't replicate it due to uh, the rating of this podcast, but we had a chant that we used to do every time that stuff really went down in the Cthulhu game. And we would all kind of look at each other and someone would go st- start counting and it'd be one, two, three, bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> so that that's probably the strangest i don't know but probably the one i remember the most fondly and and as being quite unique um i just have strange friends just in general and so to say oh well yeah this was the strangest campaign i ever played in no all of my campaigns were strange like i played second edition dungeons and dragons right around the time that the Magic the Gathering set Amonkhet came out, and I was obsessed with that setting because, well, there wasn't such a thing for Dungeons & Dragons. It was a, you know, Amonkhet is sort of a uh, Egypt, uh, Egyptian parallel, sort of, in a way. You know, higher magic, but it's all got that, like, Egyptian theme to it. And we played Dungeons & Dragons in that, and that was a blast, and that crew just went nuts with that setting. I think about the time that I was playing with with some friends of mine, and and I ended up a druid who was best friends with a velociraptor. Okay. Well, the what had happened was somebody had basically summoned this velociraptor. Like we, this, somebody had summoned it as like a find familiar type thing, and it just sort of hung around. And I was the only one that had speak with animals, and so I was just like just talk to it periodically, and it was like me and him were friends and everybody else couldn't understand what was being said. So I just seemed like my druid was crazy because <laughs> uh-huh. it was like the Raptor would say something I'd respond back. And it was like, the party doesn't understand what you're saying. They just think you're making noises back at the Raptor. Like, <laughs> and then I would tell them, no, he thinks they're this way. And that people would just look at me like, no, I don't believe you. Like, or the time that we had, I ran a game where a dwarf, wanted to be carried around in a barrel of ale. Like, I don't know. I, I let it happen. I was like, you're going to give me a, gonna give me a drowning check every now and again, make sure you're not, you're not in there just sloshed around. But, uh, no, I just always had weird friends. And so it's, it's hard to quantify that. Like strangest regular play group. That's fair. The next one is sort of straightforward. And that is the best die. <laughs> and this is from, I, I think they, probably pronounce that Kyrie. I know who it is, but I don't know how to, the name they use on our server. I would say it's Kyrie. And if we're wrong, correct us. But, uh, I don't know. My personal favorite dies a D 100 D 100 percentile, which is kind of cheating. <laughs> that's two die. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think that's probably as far as like core resolution mechanics, it's probably my favorite. Um, if I had to pick a die that I like the best, just, because of its shape, I'd probably go with a D12. And mm. only because it kind of reminds me a little more of a rock. <laughs> and I don't know why that is. But like a, a D20 is is a little more ball-shaped because it's smaller facets. But a D12 kind of still has this chunkiness to it that I find aesthetically pleasing somehow. 
always a fan of the weird dice, though. I say I've got that D thirty four in my bag. Yeah, the D thirty four, which I actually got from Hagen, by the way. Yeah, the proper D one hundreds. Yeah, golf balls. One hundred sided die. There's a couple really weird ones now. A D two is always fun. <laughs> I just use a quarter. Yeah, most people do, but if you have a D two, I roll it. Um, <laughs> yeah, dire. I, I always like the systems. I haven't found a good one that's not a comedy system in a long time, or specifically a comedy system. Oh, there's some really cool ones coming out of the 3D printing community, which are basically coins. They're um, planetary gear sets. Okay. So you have a, a sun in the middle and a bunch of planetary gears and one arrow on the coin, and you spin the outer ring, sort of like a bearing, and as it spins, each one of the planetary gears processes and rotates in a circle and then lands on the number i'll have to send you off to show you that sounds kind of neat all right let's move on to the next question i'll send it to you okay just because i'm i'm not going to sit here in silence while i look for this thing so the next question is what do you think of how tabletop is progressing with games using kickstarter and professional dms and celebrity games becoming a thing and that's coming from sarcastic smiley face I think it's a good thing, and I think it's a bad thing in some ways. Um, what are your thoughts, Steve? I mean, it's a big topic. I think it's good as a whole. I think it brings a lot of people in, and it's helped to remove a little bit of the stigma from, from the hobby. But it has also, how do I want to say this? I think it has also, in some cases, created expectations that aren't, I don't want to say unrealistic, but in a way they are right because if you watch and and we'll point at critical role because they're the elephant in the room right if you watch or listen to critical role and you see how they play dungeons and dragons or whatever game they happen to be playing whatever and then you expect to go down to your local game shop and find a game and it's going to be just like critical role you're going to be let down most likely not saying definitely but it's more likely than not and some of that, I think, is because, well, one, they are professional entertainers. They are putting on a production. They're all actors. You know, so the tools that we're using to play Dungeons & Dragons or whatever game we play and the tools that they're using to play the same type of game are the same tools. But unlike you and I who play, you know, a couple games a week, whatever, then that's all we really use those tools for. These are the tools that they've used to make a living for years. And so they're just going to be better at using them. Just like, you know, if I'm working on my car in the driveway, I know how to use the tools I have and I know how to do a lot. I'm not anywhere near as efficient and effective as a professional mechanic who works on cars all day, every day. Yeah. I think that's the, the quandary, so to speak. I can completely understand and, and agree with you on that. I think... I think it's a good thing in, in the way that it gets exposure. I, I, I just don't necessarily like what it does to new players because new players really feel that they have to work towards that Matt Mercer or, you know, I have to be, I have to be like, you know, it's, it's a little bit different and it's tough to quantify to people when they're new to the game. No, it's okay. You're, you're doing fine. Cause I, I've played with a couple people more recently where it was like, I'm trying to be like this or I'm trying to do like that. And I'm like, no, you don't need to do your own thing. You, you are doing great. Everybody's having fun. Like, yeah. Yeah. And there's, 
I'll I'll try and dig it up and put a link in the uh, show notes for it. And, and you were specifically referencing Matt Mercer there. And there's a phenomenon that gets talked about every now and then called the Matt Mercer effect, which is that people feel pressure to be able to run a table like Matt Mercer. And Seth Skorkowski did a really, really, really good video on this. And like I said, I'll, I'll, I don't remember the name. I, I don't even remember if it actually referenced the Matt Mercer effect, but I know he talked about it. And it's a really insightful video on the topic. And like I said, I'll, I'll try and throw a link to that in the show notes, if nothing else, just so people can go and watch it because it's, it's really good. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's great to use that as an advertisement tool. And to be like, hey, look, we have these people who are interested and, and, you know, this person wants to, this person runs our game or using that as a, as a tool is great, but I think it sets up unrealistic expectations sometimes. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, the, the biggest danger as far as the, the stream games is, is thinking that that's what the normal is, you know, like, like I've said, and I don't know if I've said it on the air, but like. I actually like for me, amusement parks are kind of a strange thing because the first amusement park I was ever really at was Cedar Point, which is a pretty darn nice park, or at least it was the last time I was there. But I worked there the first two summers that I ever went there. I, I was an employee there for the season. Hmm. And so like because that was my first real exposure and I was there a lot in my mind, that's the standard of what a park should be. Right. And so if I go to, you know, we're in the Pittsburgh area. So if I go to say Kennywood or Idlewild in my head, I'm comparing them to Cedar Point and they're not, they don't have the same budget. They don't have, you know, all the things. <laughs> and I'm not saying that they're bad parks, but they don't hold themselves to the same standard that Cedar Point holds itself to. And so I think that's where you have to be conscious with, a, you know, your, your home group or your group down at the local game shop that that's not the standard they aspire to. And it's unfair. And you mentioned even it's unfair to hold yourself to that standard because unless you're a professional actor, you don't have the tools at the same level they do, at least not likely. Yeah, it is unfair to hold yourself to that. It is very much an unrealistic standard unless, you know, maybe you are a professional actor. If you are, please hit us up. We'd like to talk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, it just, it's one of those things where I think it just doesn't help a lot of people and it does give exposure and that's great, but it doesn't help a lot of people that are, have that mindset of if I can't do it perfectly, what's the point in doing it? And and I think, you know, I fall into that sometimes I get that paralysis of like, oh, if I can't do this, if I can't do this perfectly, then I'm just going to quit and don't, nobody's perfect, you know, and Dungeons and Dragons and, and tabletop RPGs in general are such a subjective thing that the question I always ask is everybody having fun. As long mm -hmm. as everybody's having fun in whatever way you feel is fun, then you're not doing anything wrong. Exactly. As to you know the other half of that question being Kickstarter and how that's, I mean, I think that that has really enabled a lot of smaller companies to make a splash. Yeah. You know, if you look at, for example, well, obviously the most recent one being Magpie with the Avatar Kickstarter, which just obliterated previous records for, for funding for a tabletop RPG on, on the Kickstarter platform. But even companies like um, 
say free league or free Ligon, depending on, you know, if you want to use the English or Swedish version of the name, you know, they've made a model out of, you know, putting their games on Kickstarter and, and getting those, you know, they use it really almost more as a pre-sale tool, I think, but it works very well for them. They've, they've grown to be a force in the industry rather quickly. You know, it's enabled other things like uh, the Coyote and Crow Kickstarter that I think just barely topped a million dollars a couple months ago. You know, it's largely being produced by native people and, and all those things. But, you know, that's a project that probably never would have gotten off the ground without being able to go to a large, highly visible platform and, and get the exposure. Even, even you know, like I said, I, I think Kickstarter has changed a lot for the industry in that it kind of gives smaller companies, people, whatever, with big ideas, a way to get out there and get noticed and actually produce more as opposed to, well, okay, if I print, you know, X number of copies of the book, can I get rid of them all? You know, and they're having to lay all that money out from the start where with Kickstarter, they can, they can get money up front to fund their print runs or whatever, which is not cheap. No. So, I mean, I think that's helped the broader development of the industry a good bit. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, so moving on, not to cut us short on that one, but I think we've sort of hit the nail on the head. A uh, question from, uh, uh, who is this? GM Hooli? Never heard of him. Um, no. no. Have any of you caused one or more of your players to openly have an emotional reaction to a PC or NPC death? And how did you handle it? Um... I'll let you go first on this one because I think you have a you have an answer to that question, at least in the time that we gamed together just before I got there. Now I'm confused. Back when we used to play together in, in real life. Right. I don't know. I never killed anyone's character. No, but you your player character had an open emotional reaction. Oh, 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 okay. Okay, there we go. I know what you're talking about now. Um yeah, back at the place with the thing. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so as a GM, no, I've never had this happen. I did, what you're referring to was kind of an in-character reaction to another PC's death. Mm-hmm. Um, where, yeah, my character kind of took it pretty hard. And for lack of a better way to say it, I don't want to say snapped but sort of and and was you know like so to speak just kind of a, a resigned yet determined walking off for vengeance kind of type deal but as far as uh, my sense of this question was more of you know have you been at the table when the player had an emotional reaction to the pc or npc death and i i think that's i i can't say that i've that's not true that's not true i've been at the table where where a player had a had a um emotional reaction to an npc death or actually a player character death and it wasn't their player character it was another i was playing with some friends of mine who we were all very close and yeah just some stuff had happened and it wasn't um it wasn't an inappropriate reaction but the players you know we some stuff had happened with the one of the players at the table and we'd taken a long hiatus from the game because of that and felt that it was time to go back and just it was just a culmination of real life emotions plus in-game emotions and yeah I've, I've been there and and seen it i haven't run anything where that where i was 
I haven't run anything where I was in charge of that situation, but yeah. I was there when when there was grieving, essentially. Yeah, I've witnessed it. I've never presided over it, so to speak. Yeah, and do I think it's... I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you become attached to these characters, and depending on how invested you are in the game, and you get invested in the people that you're playing with, realistically, you know, you're spending a lot of time with the people at the table. You figure a short session, or a, a short game is, you know, what, five, ten sessions? Yeah. And then you get into longer running campaigns where you're playing 100 plus mm -hmm. and you've been playing with these people for a long time. You've been getting invested in their characters realistically. And I mean, it changes based on player type. If you're not, maybe you're very, you know, maybe you're very analytical and you don't get invested in the characters. Well, that's I mean, that's your player type. But, you know, some people get really invested in each other's characters and. I can understand, you know, and then, like I said, sometimes real life comes into the fi into the picture and, and sort of throws a wrench in things. And I think that's where hopefully soon we're going to have someone on to talk about the safety toolkit and, and being safe when playing the game, because at the end of the day, it is a game. Yeah. And I think this, this treads into that area because yeah, you know, emotions and, and here's the thing about it, right? Like I, I don't, tend to it's not that i don't love my characters or or whatever but i don't get attached to them in that way even if i'm feeling the emotion there's a intellectual disconnect between it being what do you want to say real factual that's not the right way to say it i'm conscious i'm playing a game yeah it's the difference between reality and and playing pretend but i remember something i heard someone that came to speak at our high school they were talking about something, and obviously this is years ago, but the the, the phrase that, that sticks in my head was, he was talking about something, and he said, you know, and people will call it puppy love, but the thing you have to remember about puppy love is that it's still real to the puppies. Yeah. And and I think that sums it up. I don't fault anybody who gets emotionally attached to to the characters, to the stories. Like I said, I I was there. I've I've been through that. It's It's difficult because you get attached to the people playing the characters. And you associate those people with that character. And and that's where I sort of get hung up sometimes. It's not so much of like not so much of the character itself, but more of the you know, the people that I played with, I'm attached to those people. You know what I mean? Like I'm friends with them and and known them for a long time now and you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I understand when people would get when people get emotionally attached or upset or anything along those lines. I just haven't not necessarily personally myself, but it's not, not anything bad on that end. Number seven is who is your favorite NPC you've created? Hey, Steve, how do you say, is it big Papa pump? Is that what it is? Uh, that's what it's a contraction of. Yes. Okay. Um, do you have a specific one? Cause I have a couple. I, I think the first one that springs to mind and may only because it's one of the most recent ones for me, um, was actually, it's kind of a weird thing. It's an NPC that you created in a game that I was running. So I got to play them. <laughs> oh, dubs. Yeah. Well, no, no, not so much dubs, Oh, but, um, the machine, uh, the machine. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Um, which you just sort of went, Oh yeah. I have this guy that, uh, I pay to answer the payphone down in front of my apartment building. I call him the answering machine <laughs> <laughs> and you just sort of, and so I just, <laughs> I remember having some 
not huge, but moderately large argument with your character in his voice that, as I recall, had the whole table just dying. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The table was, was really laughing at that. And that was, oh man, I forgot about the machine. Oh, because he didn't realize that and then he was trying to tell you he wasn't, you know, kind of offended that you were referring to him as a machine. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, Dubs wasn't meaning anything bad by it. He was just, well, yeah, no. you're the machine. Yeah. In Dubs' mind, it was a compliment and we just sort of riffed on it for a little bit, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite NPC is my reoccurring NPC, which. He's not going to end up in anything. He's usually in my uh, Dungeons and Dragons games. I stole this character named Bomar and Bomar is a baker. And Bomar, usually when I, when I play D and D Bomar was the baker, the blacksmith, the tavern owner. Um, Bomar ran one whole town by himself. Like I, I remember <laughs> telling a story where I pretty much had everybody convinced that there was nobody else in this town except for Bomar. Bomar just you would walk into a building and this this big dude would come sort of barreling out from behind and he'd be all out of breath and oh can I help you today and my table was like okay and then they went to the blacksmith they're like oh I'm gonna go see about getting my weapons sharpened all right go over to the blacksmith and I said you see the same guy sort of come barreling out behind he's really out of breath uh, hello how can I help you today and I had them convinced that there was nobody else in this town except for Bomar it was just Bomar and he was my favorite. He's my favorite NPC for D&D just because it's just so funny to throw your players into this town where there's only one dude that does everything. Mhm. And and to watch the players react is is cuz you know, it's like oh, who am I going to meet over at the who am I going to meet over at the, you know, magic shop? Nope. It's going to be Bomar. You know <laughs> who it's going to be. He's just going to be Bomar at the magic shop. And it got to a point where one of my players was like, I'm going to start breaking into houses and see if it's just Bomar in the houses. I'm like, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I rolled on a, I rolled on a check to see, cause I figured I, I, what I did was I rolled behind my screen and I figured if it was low Bomar, there was just going to be anybody in the house that they were breaking into. And if it was high, it was just going to be Bomar sitting on the couch, like watching the fire. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I rolled, a nat 20 on a d20 and so they bust into this house and they break in and they're like all right so anybody in the house i'm like well there's somebody in the living room and they're like okay uh who is it and i'm like it's bomar sitting in a recliner watching the fire oh <laughs> that was my favorite npc because it was <laughs> it's just messing with my players in this way that and it's a nothing town you know it's not like it's super important but it was just a fun one way of giving a break you know sometimes you need that little bit of comedy break from the super serious games no that's true and then we've talked about dubs before dubs is my favorite player character npc and then let's take a look at something here what does one do with that one player who always plays a rogue well i mean my gut reaction is to say if they're having fun with it let them play the rogue yeah, that's that's usually my go-to. I I have a buddy that I've sort of joked with him before, and he's like, "No, you're right." He's like, "That's the kind of character I like to play, so that's what I build." He always plays a paladin. He always plays the same paladin, and I just let him do it. Like, especially in, and I'll I'll sort of get into this a little bit, but in modern Dungeons and Dragons, there's no need to be like, 
The party composition demands that there be one of each class. That's not necessary. There's so many different flavors of each of the classes now that you can absolutely just, you know, if they want to play a rogue and somebody else wants to play a rogue, cool. Let them play. Let them all play rogues. You know, there's no need to be so gatekeeping. Like back in the day, back when Dungeons and Dragons, and I sort of harp on this now, back when Dungeons and Dragons was deadly. Yeah, there was a need for proper party composition. You had to make sure you had damage dealers, tanks, healers, you know, all of that. But now, no, there's no reason to fight with them. Just let them play the rogue. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, we've said it before. At the end of the day, it's about having fun. And if that's how that's their fun. okay. that's my sense of it. That's my sense of it, too. You know, just it's just one of those things. I mean, yeah. To I don't like to play the same character over and over again. That's just not me. But no, but some people do. Some people, that's all they know, and that's all they really want to play. Like I said, I have my buddy. He plays. He plays paladins, and he does a great job of it. So I just let him play paladins. I don't argue with him. I don't give him a hard time because, not that I'm like, oh man, you know, all you do is play paladins. I give him a hard time about it, but that's just my dynamic with my friends. But. At the end of the day, that's where he has fun. That's how he has fun. So I let him do his thing. Yeah. And that was by J. Meyer 33. All right. Want me to read the next one? Yeah, sure. We're about halfway through these. <laughs> this comes from uh, Ghost GM. And the question is, if you could choose one without having the others, which one do you think is better in the long run? Mechanical advancement, essentially uh, new spells, loot, weapons, story advancement which is, of course, kind of self-explanatory, or character advancement, you know, feelings, attitudes, relationships, motivations, and such. Yeah. Uh, I think character advancement, in my opinion, is always better, but that's just because, in my opinion, I've been getting away from mechanically advanced games and getting more into narratively advanced games. Yeah. I That's, well, a bit where I'm at, too. I It's hard to pick between character and story because they kind of go hand in hand, I think. Yeah, they do, but I still think character's better than story advancement's great, but the characters drive the story and seeing characters grow in the same, like, seeing characters grow, in my opinion, is more important than seeing the story progress. Yeah. Sorry, technical snafu there. Yeah. (laughs) Um... So yeah, I would say yeah. I'm I'm with you. I think character probably would be my my first choice, followed by story, and then probably mechanical as my last choice. Yeah, I I think mechanical's great. I just where I'm at gaming wise at this point is that I'm more in it for the narrative and the story and the characters than I am for oh man, look how good I can do the thing. Yeah. Then the next few were ones that I wrote up because I wasn't sure how many we people who are going to have asked questions so let's actually skip yours okay unless you had one in particular you really wanted to cover not i mean they were just kind of conversation points more than anything okay um alicio asks how to add a lot more emotion to the story um i think stakes and that sort of gets into player involvement Mm -hmm. which honestly we've done sort of one episode on player involvement but we could do a whole series on it yeah 
to get more emotion, it's hard to quantify sometimes because, like I said, it, it does sort of boil into you you have to have that player involvement and then raising your stakes and and making sure everybody's everybody's invested that's how you get more in my opinion that's how the easiest way to get more in in, in emotion yeah it 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 falls into buy in and player involvement and steve did i mention when we started this that we had a bunch of questions about player engagement and so we're probably going to save those and do a whole episode on that yeah you did mention that to me but i don't think you mentioned it on the show Okay, now I have. Yeah. So, but <laughs> no, um I think honestly that's where you should start is is making sure that your buy-in's very high. Once you know your players are invested, then it's it sort of gets a little bit easier to get that emotional attachment and to amp up the emotions is just to realistically, you know, sometimes sometimes we talk about going crazy and getting a little wild and, and doing the weird things. But I think one of the ways that's important to bring up and to raise the emotion in a room is to realistically raise the emotion in a room. Give them a genuine threat. Give them a genuine problem. As long as they're bought in and, and the players are invested, that becomes a whole lot easier. Yeah. And at the same point, emotion is a thing you do need to be, to a certain point, careful with. Yeah, and we're going to get into that, I think, with Safety Toolkit as well. Yeah. So moving on from that, to another one from Alessio. Um, what have been some epic moments when the players get into character at the highest degree? Um, epic moments? I have a couple. Uh, I mean, we just talked about your character getting into getting, you know, you, you being a player and getting into character and, and having that. I just, I remember getting to that table and everybody being like, oh man, Steve, you know, Steve's character, he just, he just went nuts and like walked off and like, yeah, mine are more goofy than I think the, some of my best moments and craziest moments. Like I talked about, uh, I had a player who had to vacate the table for a little while and sort of was in and out of the group. And I just said, oh, well, you know, you're playing a monk. We'll just send you off to this. We'll send you off to this church. And he always joked about it. He's like, oh, yeah, I get up and I make breakfast for everybody and, you know, all this stuff. And so my players knew he was coming back. And somebody said, oh, well, you know, so-and-so's back. And I just remember one of my players going, oh, I need to go to the church. And um, so they went to the church. They walked in the doors and they, in the in the loudest, you know, yelling, shouting tone, they yelled, bring us the breakfast maker. <laughs> and it just, it was this like goofy, but epic moment that I, you couldn't have scripted if you wanted to. That's one of my favorites. That That's one of my favorite epic moments. It's not, it's not some sort of epic battle. It's just them wanting to get back together with their friend. And <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Um, I, I would say one of my more memorable kind of in character moments was, I know I've told you about this. I don't think I've mentioned it on the show, but I was playing a three, five game years ago and I was playing this very not bright dwarven barbarian. And we were in this dungeon and came up against, I want to say three Bargast. Mm. And I don't remember what level we were, but we weren't, I wouldn't say any higher than maybe fifth. And there was only two of us in the party. And my character through strange, strangely concocted backstory, thought that the Aarakocra cleric, or not Aarakocra, Kenku cleric, I think, that was with us, was his brother. Like, legit flesh and blood brother. Mm -mm. So, combat opens up, and I want to say he won initiative, and I hit a massive crit, and I one-shot one of the Bargus. So, when the other Bargus 
looked like, well, he's a threat. So they hit me with a charm effect, which, of course, I promptly failed to save. Right. So for me, this is one of the, I, I absolutely loved trying to play out being charmed and like wanting to save the other player character who my character thought was his brother against these creatures that, you know, now weren't his enemy either. You know, in, in that sort of how to play that out, that for me, that was, I love that because it was, it was a challenge and to try and figure out how, you know, where his brain would go and that how does he protect his brother? You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it was. No, I, I, I understand <laughs> completely. It's sort of uh, kind of like if you, if you charm Drax, like. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just epic epic moments i I always think about epic moments in in gaming and like we're both well we were both critical role fans i'm still sort of a fan i pay attention to it i just haven't just not always caught up on it um Mm -hmm. i just think about all the epic moments when they were gaming and then you know that goes back to well not everything's critical role but a lot of their stuff is genuine too i think of all the all the all the stuff and it, some of the best epic moments aren't even this epic thing happens. It's, it's more of like all the times that Percy and Grog got into shenanigans mm-hmm. or, you know, in, in personal games, it's all the times that just goofy things happened, chasing stuff around dungeons and just all the shenanigans, which is what I live for in games. I live for the goofy moments and I live for the serious moments, but yeah. But it's the genuine moments to stick with you. Yeah. Whether they be goofy or serious. Yeah, it's the genuine, like... And so with that, we've reached the end of our list. hmm And it's time we get to Game of the Week. Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Do you want to get going on Game of the Week here? I need to bring mine back up. Sure, I'll start one off. This one, I... I here's what I do a lot of time for Game of the Week, folks. I'll be poking around drive through and I'll go, oh... That looks interesting. Add to wish list. And then when it comes back to time for Game of the Week when we're doing a show, I open up the wish list and go, oh, yeah, that one. So this is one that I found a while back, put on the wish list, and then actually someone I was chatting with on Discord brought it up that, that they would bought it and said it was kind of interesting. And it's a game called Cryptomancer. And it's, I guess, cyber fantasy? I'm not really sure it's... Okay, the the blurb is Cryptomancer is a tabletop role-playing game made for hackers by hackers. It features an original fantasy setting and gameplay informed by diverse security disciplines, information security, physical security, intelligence analysis, clandestine tradecraft, and risk management. Players assume the role of characters on the run from a shadowy organization that rules the world through mass surveillance, propaganda, and political coercion. And so it, it appears to be some sort of combination of fantasy and, like, cyber hacking. Hmm. Like, the, the cover art is it's a really neat image of, of what would appear to be some sort of elf with this, like, crystal thingy and, and lines coming off it, like magic, or like it's some sort of, like, data hollow crystal type thing. I, I mean, PDF is 20 bucks. So, you know, it's a little pricey to buy just on a whim, but it is 430-some pages. So, um, like I said, it, it does look interesting, at least in concept. Might be something to buy as a resource at some point. I don't know. Maybe watch it, see if it goes on sale for me anyway. But, uh, yeah, that's that's mine. Like I said, it's called Cryptomancer, and it's from Land of Nop, LLC. Hmm. And that'd be N-O-P. Mine's a cyberpunk game called Hardwired Island. Mm-hmm. Art style sort of cyberpunk anime. 
set in 2020 very looks like from everything i can gather you just need a d6 to play the game or it uses d6 to play the game i'm sorry not just one just sort of a cool weird cool cyberpunk rpg i don't know how else to say it that's 30 bucks for the pdf was a Kickstarter title. It just recently came out, maybe a couple months ago, June 9th. Yeah, I remember seeing stuff on it. Just sort of, they call it a retro future cyberpunk TTRPG inspired by 90s anime. Hey, that's everything you just said, all of the words that make me excited about a game. So yeah, so check that out. Seems like a cool game. Like I said, not not cheap, not too expensive. 30 bucks, you know, you make your own decisions. Yeah. And with that, I want to thank you for listening. Remind you that our Discord is out there. We do post every day in the Discord. There's always some sort of conversation happening. As soon as I'm over my sickness, more TikToks will be coming. If you're following us on TikTok, which I don't think I ever got you to link for. Trying to think if there's anything else. want to remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at andrpgs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.